Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Boy, did they give me a difficult gospel lesson for my first sermon here. We're going to look at Luke's gospel where Jesus says, Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. You may be seated. This gospel lesson undoubtedly invokes a lot of questions. It sure did for me. This verse in particular seems a bit ironic. Jesus came for division, not peace. Huh. I can think of several big examples where we anticipate peace. First, I think of the angels who at Jesus' birth proclaimed to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus also tells his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And yet here Jesus says he did not come to give peace, but rather division. There are other questions we find ourselves asking from this gospel lesson. What fire? What baptism? What peace? What division? I'll give you the short answer first. The fire is God's wrath. The baptism is Jesus taking God's wrath for us. But the peace is not what we expect. Remember that verse, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Jesus goes on to say, not as the world gives do I give to you. The peace Jesus gives is different from the peace we experience in the world. On top of that, a few chapters after this lesson, Jesus weeps over the city of Jerusalem because her people do not know the things that have to do with peace. And this leads to division. We're all too familiar with division. Perhaps it's your parent, in-laws, or children. Somebody you know creates division in the family. And if you don't know who it is, well, it might be you. The point is that division happens. Let's imagine a family. Meet the Jingleheimer Schmidt family. That's John Jacob on the left and his lesser known but older sister Gwen on the right. Gwen is very headstrong. She's off at college and she refuses to come visit mom and dad if they won't let her and her boyfriend sleep in the same room. Mom and dad need to decide how they're going to respond to Gwen. And it could be a combination of grace, mercy, and justice. Just to review the difference, which is in the sermon outline in your service folder, grace is getting something you do not deserve. Mercy is not getting something you do deserve. And justice, well, justice is getting exactly what you deserve. Today we'll be looking at three types of disunity. Division in families, division in the church, and division in our text. The first type following our story is division within families. We've all been there. People who create division, Gwen in our case, often condition people to simply keep the peace by giving in to them or by avoiding difficult conversations with them. 
To make matters more complicated, Gwen's boyfriend is not a Christian. There are burdens to dating a non-Christian. You need to be the spiritual leader. But let's say mom doesn't want to confront Gwen on those burdens because she knows it will just cause a fight. Mom's making a choice to keep the peace instead of having that hard conversation that would create some division between them. Or dad, who doesn't want to be the bad guy and refuse to let them share a room so he avoids the conversation or acts ignorant of their intentions and pretends to not notice that they've put their bags in the same room. The alternative is to face Gwen's wrath when she blows up. How much conflict and division can the relationship handle? More importantly, how much sin will cause a person to fall away from the faith? We can't be precise, so we pray for guidance and wisdom. The fire Jesus came to cast on earth is God's wrath on sin. However, Jesus' baptism was not like yours. God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became your substitute in his baptism, so that all who believe shall have eternal life. All who believe. This means that division is necessary because some will not believe. In a case like Gwen's, some division in the family will be necessary. We need to have those difficult conversations. Gwen might get mad, but she needs to hear the truth. Avoiding telling her what she needs to hear just to keep the peace isn't better unity. She needs to hear how this behavior goes against God's will and how it can hurt both of them, their values and views of marriage, and her little brother's concept of marriage too. This brings me to our second type of disunity, division in the church. We have two sides of a very difficult task. This is the meat and potatoes of the sermon, hence the fancy slide, unity in truth and love. On one hand, we have love. Unity can be seen and felt in life. If you knock on my door, it wouldn't be very loving of me to tell you to go away, would it? Life is filled with examples of loving and unloving interactions. And we can have unity in that love or disunity in the lack of love. In this way, love and life are related. God desires for us to be united in the church. How we act and speak to visitors can be loving or unloving. Focusing on our differences can be unloving. And visitors can feel unloved. And so, we care very much about communicating love. On the other hand, we have truth. Unity exists in the content of our faith, in what we believe and confess. We can be united in that confession or not. If one person confesses something and another person doesn't agree with that belief, they'll both recognize their disunity. Most of us are keenly aware of what it feels like when we have disunity as a result of a lack of love because we can feel it. But many of us 
are less aware or less affected by disunity as a result of a lack of truth because of disagreement. So I want to highlight what this means and why it's so important. To begin with, truth in the church is doctrine. It is the teaching of the church. If we confess some truth, then we have a doctrine in the explanation of that truth. Collectively, doctrine is the message of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who died for your sins, for my sins, and for the sins of the whole world. Doctrine is the gospel. Doctrine is the gospel. It can become too easy to want that comfortable life without any conflict, to see love and peace as the only end goal. But Jesus did not come to bring easy, fake peace. Certainly God wants us to love our neighbor. But God unites believers to himself through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And thereby God unites believers through the gospel to one another. Ignoring each other's faults has become a value in our society. Our culture wants us to be tolerant of individual choice. To some extent, it's good for us to practice love with people who disagree with us. But don't be fooled. Ignoring differences and keeping the peace aren't how God unites us to one another. Your unity to other Christians happens through God's word at your baptism. And it happens every time you remember your baptism. Our Old Testament lesson from Jeremiah specifically warns us about false prophets. He says that they're people who say, no disaster shall come upon you when you stubbornly follow your own heart. Gwen is following her own heart. When we say it's okay to someone who sins, we are being a false prophet. That's the truth side of unity. And differences do matter when we're talking about the gospel message. This brings me to a very important point. We can easily go too far to one side or to the other. Too much concern about truth, especially on less important things, will seem heartless and lack love. Too much concern on love will seem unfaithful to God's word and will and unfaithful to God's truth. We also have division in our text. Jesus says that he came to give division, not peace. Just prior, he says that he came to cast fire on earth and how he wishes that it were already kindled, meaning how he wishes that the believers and unbelievers were already separated, the wheat from the chaff. Families will experience division. Some will believe and some will not. Churches will experience division. Some will confess the true faith and some will reject it. We as believers have an obligation to navigate those waters because Jesus first brought division until it's time for the harvest. At times we push for truth and at times we push for love. But we must never push for love at the expense of saving truth. We never compromise the gospel. 
Here's the concern of being too heavy-handed one way or the other. If we have no visible division and focus on love alone, we will compromise the truth of God's message. If we have an unwavering commitment to truth alone, we will completely fail to love our neighbor and we will create unnecessary schisms or fractures where division is not necessary. So how do we know which to focus on and when? To answer this question, we need to first consider two types of unity. First we talked about disunity and now unity. First and foremost, we have unity from above. As the sermon title suggests, unity from above simply means that any unity we have is a gift from God. We are united in one body in Christ Jesus, and we are members of that one body. This is our unity. On the one hand, we have unity in love, which is life. Our lives are lived out in word and deed. We speak and interact. On this side, we have God's work to form and shape in us to become more holy men and women. But we remain imperfect in this life. For this reason, unity from above is difficult to measure by love alone. Unity from above applies more readily to truth, which is our faith. I'll go back to that slide for those who might not have a sermon outline. The doctrine of the church can be measured against God's word, our rule and norm of faith. Our epistle lesson repeats the phrase by faith to show that faith accomplished these things in the lives of so many people. The opposite side of unity from above is obviously unity from below. By name alone, I'm sure I don't need to convince you that unity from below is inferior to unity from above. However, it might take some diligent reflection to be able to recognize the difference. From below is based on our own actions and associations. These two types of unity, from above and from below, are the arrows in the middle of the circle you see there. We try to live and act united. And it's our hope that we are united in our confession of truth too. Both are important. But what we do is not what unites us. The fact that you're a member of St. Lawrence Church or school or that you're a member of a family, these memberships are visible and tangible and beneficial. But they are unity from below. I don't want to reject the value of unity from below. But these are not the things that give us unity in heaven. The body of Christ gives unity through faith by grace. Something you do not deserve. Your sins make you enemies of God. But Jesus became a substitute for your sins. He covered your sins of failing to risk division. Sometimes division is necessary. He also covered your sins of creating too much division too quickly. Sometimes it's better to say nothing at all if you don't have anything nice to say. Failing to speak to Gwen about her sinful behavior is what a false prophet does. But Jesus covered that sin too. Here's the bottom line. Seek to live united lives in truth and love. We can be very loving without compromising truth. And we need practice doing that. 
However, the gospel truth must be valued and preserved. And it's our job to defend it from false teaching. We should constantly seek ways to better say and act lovingly to our neighbor and to other churches, even when we disagree with their representation of truth. It is my prayer that you define unity from above in truth and love. Amen. Please stand. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.